welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, podcasting from the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center in Chicagoland, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping Christian leaders navigate and lead through the cultural issues of our day. My name's Daniel Yang, the director of the Church Multiplication Institute, and we're excited to have with us today, Ray Orland. The Ray Orland. Ray is the president of Renewal Ministries, the pastor to pastors at Emmanuel Church Nashville, and a canon theologian with the Anglican Church in North Which America. I know you're going to say more intro, but really, just so we get this, he's pastor to Presbyterian Church yep. and canon theologian and Anglicanism. So, But that's fine. We can talk about that another time, but I just want to throw that out there. Keep going. Sorry. <laughs> he's also the author of several books, including Preaching the Word, Commentaries on Isaiah and Proverbs, and Marriage and the Mystery of the Gospel. And today we're talking about his latest book, The Death of Porn. Men of Integrity, Building a World of Nobility. But before we hear from Ray, let's go to Ed Stetzer, Editor-in-Chief of Outreach Magazine and the Executive Director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. Speaking of Wheaton College, Wheaton College graduate that Ray Ortland is, also, last time I saw him was where where we're recording in our studio right next door is uh, Ray was actually teaching on uh, Proverbs, Isaiah and Proverbs for us, or maybe Psalms as well. And so super good to have you, Ray. Going to have a great conversation today. And But it's a conversation about an issue that is uh, maybe uncomfortable for some people, but here's the great thing, right? If you're a regular podcast listener, you're, you could just listening in the series, and now this has come before you. We're going to talk about pornography today. And we're going to talk about this acknowledging that a substantial number of our listeners are regular users of pornography. Uh, pastors and church leaders is our audience. A substantial number are regular users of pornography who are teaching, preaching, and leading churches filled with regular users of pornography. Um, so let's talk a little bit about porn. And one of the first things, Ray, is that so many people have said in their own minds as they've justified this, some of our listeners have, or if not our listeners, people they know, is this is not hurting anyone uh, you know, how would you respond to somebody saying it's private? Um, uh, you know, I, 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 re- I even repent for it, uh, but it's private. How would you respond to someone who's justifying their porn use in that way? Yeah, thanks, Ed. Well, I think the first thing I, I want to say is that I am a sexual sinner. I want, I want to put that right out on the table. Now, I'm, I'm faithful to my wife. I love my wife. I'm not looking at porn, but I am a sexual sinner. And uh, if because I, I deeply accept the biblical doctrine of total depravity. I mean, it's that dire. Every aspect of my being, at every every level of my being, all the time. If if sin were color coded, like uh, yellow, like police police tape at a crime scene, I would be glowing yellow right now. I would be always. So would all of us. So. Uh, I, I believe everybody above puberty is a sexual sinner. And so it's, we're, we're not, nothing is going to change for the better until we all come together. This book I wrote, The Death of Porn, is not me saying to everybody else, you have a porn problem. This is me saying to all of us, we have a porn problem. We are in this together. And let's admit it and, and see what, what God can do for people like us. So the I mean, church itself has a oh yeah, problem. Absolutely. And here in Tennessee, a few generations ago, slavery was legal. And we look back now at those years in my state, and we see basically three human profiles. One, even among Christians, slaveholders, 
slave owners, people involved in the trade. Secondly, passive onlookers. They just shrug their shoulders, you know, these things happen, what can you do? And thirdly, active liberators. And we look back now at those three profiles in the Christian community, we are grieved and grieved for and offended by Christian slaveholders. We are mystified and indignant at the passive onlookers. We are proud of and rejoice over the active liberators. Well, we've got a new slave trade in the world today. Hmm. Everywhere porn goes, trafficking goes, coercion goes, degradation goes. People have fewer options in life, fewer choices. They're forced into futures they don't want and never chose for themselves. And that is the reality of it. There's a new slave trade today, and now it's our turn to decide which of those three human profiles are we going to occupy? You know, Ray, it sounds like, I mean, maybe a big part of it is we're thinking about porn too simplistically, and there's a bigger picture. It sounds like that's what you're saying. Do, do you think because of that, we're ineffectively addressing porn um, and maybe more just masking the problem more than anything? Yeah. When was the last time, you know, a, a, you heard a, a sermon on porn? Here's you know, during the, the uh, civil rights movement of the 1950s and 60s, which was a, an historically magnificent justice movement fueled by the Christian worldview, they, they wrote songs that fired them up and kept them courageous. And then in the fight against slavery, we had hymns that we sang, the battle hymn of the Republic, as he died to make men holy, let us live to make men free and so forth. Um, nobody is that I'm aware of, and I live in Music City, USA. Where are the singer songwriters equipping the body of Christ for us to sing our way into nobility, liberation, hmm. resistance, um, a proper indignation? Who is helping us to fight for the women and girls of this world who are being mistreated today at this moment. Mm. So I feel uh, I'm grateful to you guys that, you know, you're just courageously facing right into this and putting the issue on the table. What does the Lord want our generation of pastors and Christian leaders and Christian voices to do for the sake of liberation? Let just one more thought then. Um, I'm 72 years old. When I was a kid, smoking cigarettes was perceived as suave and cool. Now, smoking cigarettes is perceived as unhealthy and problematic. How did that change? Mm. We've gone through a paradigm shift. The tobacco industry has was forced to face itself and admit some admit how it was killing people by selling its products. Okay, now it's porn's, porn's turn to suffer that kind of diminishing. And, and it takes a generation, but let's get going. The moment has come. I think we've reached a tipping point and we can now raise our voices and uh, rally the men, especially of our churches to the cause of nobility. And it, it's totally plausible by now. Very few people are getting away with the arguments that it's just harmless and, and yeah. private and nobody's hurt. Yeah, it's interesting that, that the last few years seems to have been a shift 
that uh, it's not just religious prudes who are against porn, but feminists against porn. Uh, you know, people I mean, people just writing about the the impact on you know sexual dysfunction and more. Uh, I mean, porn seems to be bad, and everyone seems to see that. Not everyone, but a substantial growing number of people seem to see that. When I was when I lived in Nashville, I worked at the Lifeway Building, and we I drove to I sixty five where there was the I got on there. There's the Hustler store that was right there. Um, I, I might still be for all I know. Lifeway's not there anymore, uh, but they moved the building. But there was a billboard somebody took out right over the Hustler store, and it said a picture of a woman. It said, she's someone's daughter, which was a fascinating phrase. But then people began to respond to it and say, no, she's just someone. So, I mean, it's not just that she's someone's daughter, but she's someone. She's a person. She's not a image on a screen and more. And you're, you're calling us to to see the person on the other side of the screen as more than simply a commodity for, for gratification. So how do we change the thinking in people's mind? And that's a big part. Again, the book, the book is called, uh, it's called The Death of Porn, and a big part of that is to change the thinking. So how do we change the thinking of people, even in our church, or maybe our thinking, yeah. so that we can actually begin to see this change in our society? The change question is the question. And here's what I don't believe about change. I don't believe we're scolded into real change or shamed into it um, and pressured. Um, I have nothing but contempt for any sort of Christianized um, finger pointing. Um, uh, the only deep and profound good changes I've gone through in my life have been through the grace of God in the gospel really being embraced by people who are willing to walk with me through Ray Ortland at his worst. Now, how are we going to change? We Christian leaders, we pastors, we ourselves, number one, daring to believe in the grace and mercy of God for the undeserving, which is all of us. Everybody has some growth edge and whether or not porn is your issue or my, my issue, every single one of us has next steps to take. And, and here is an area where so many guys are longing to get set free. They're longing for freedom. They, they, they want the release of honesty. What if we pastors start quietly gathering men without any hoopla, without a big sermon series, just quietly gathering men that we know um, our longing for freedom. And Ed, I wrote this book for small groups of men. Right. Guys, groups of two, three, four guys get together once a week for coffee, read through one of the letters slash chapters and, and just read it together and say, okay, what stands out? What helps this time? Hmm. And let the book open up those conversations of transparency and vulnerability and honesty. Everybody has regrets. Everybody has things about themselves they just can't stand. And what if, what if we come together in this very personal area of our sexuality where conscience is so tender? And what if we come together as men and in a, uh, an environment of confidentiality where the, the, the conversation is locked away in the vault of our friendship and solidarity? And we put out on the table what's really going on, what isn't working, and see what God will do with that. There is no way God would be unfaithful 
to a group of guys who are willing to stick their necks out like that. Yeah, so let me a couple things. So first, just so everyone is aware, the book is written towards men. We'll talk about the format in just a bit. We do recognize that there are some women who also look at porn and who can become addicted to pornography as well. But that's the book here is written towards men. Um, you're talking some about ways. To, uh, the book is death of porn, uh, death death of porn as well as well. But you're talking about some ways to overcome it, overcome pornography use and pornography addiction. And I want to get to those. One of those you talk about is that accountability. Well, what are some ineffective ways that men seem to use to overcome porn use and addiction? Because it seems that things, some things don't work. What would be the things that don't work? And then let's get to things that do work. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sure there's a, a place for um, filters on our, our computers and devices and so forth. But if we, if we install the filters, we can always get around the filters. Right. Um, so those are good ideas, but they're not, they're not, uh, foolproof. Um, I actually, Ed, I don't even use the word accountability in the book. Yeah. Uh, because, and, and I don't use the word purity in the book. I use the word integrity. And I don't use the word accountability because it's a great reality. True brotherly accountability is magnificent. But I've heard some people in the name of accountability be, become coercive and bullying. And that is, I just despise that. I have no place for that. Um, it is totally counterproductive. It drives men underground further. Uh, so I use the word transparency because that's mutual. Um, it's, for example, I'm a pastor. I'm a Christian. I love my wife and I'm not looking at porn, but porn comes looking for me. Hmm. Um, likes on social media follows on social media and so forth. And it, I'm not stupid. I know what it is. I know where it's coming from. And guys, when, when I see one of those, I have two immediate simultaneous reactions inside me. One is, oh, that's interesting. The other re response is, I hate that. Yeah. And I'm embarrassed and ashamed and grieved that that little spark of, of interest sort of flares up inside me. And I'm grateful to God's grace that there's this strong objection that's sort of intertwined with it at the same time. Um, but that's, that's the Ray Ortland God is dealing with. And so my response after that initial uh, twofold response, then I realize, okay, I don't know if that like or follow is from an actual human being. I don't know if that's a bot. I don't know if, I don't know where that's coming from. It's probably a total lie in some way, shape or form, but that's a real photograph. And that woman is probably out there somewhere. And the risen Christ above right now, he knows where she is. Hmm. So I pray, Lord, go find her. Go wrap your arms around her, protect her, defend her, get the gospel to her, fill her with your spirit, breathe life into her, give her hope again, get her out of that living hell she's stuck in. And Lord, give her a life she can get excited about. Mm. And so, and I just have to believe that God answers prayer. So guys, I believe that when I get to heaven, I'm going to be meeting some mighty women of God, saints, Worthy of heaven, 
who got there in part because I prayed for them. And I hope I meet some of them in this world. But we, fellas, this, we, we can, it's a good thing to play defense, but we can play offense too. Hmm. Amen. This book is to help Christian men get better at defense and start playing offense. Hmm. And let's see some liberation. Uh, it's, uh, what I love about the book is you say this in the introduction, like you're writing this book to start a movement. And so, uh, you know, the battle against pornography is not just about sex or about willpower, but you say it's about hope. Um, what do you mean by that, Ray? Well, if, if we're going to see our world change, <laughs> I don't believe we accomplish that by storming the Capitol in Washington, for example. That is grandiosity. And the problem with that is not necessarily the politics of it. The problem is it is of the flesh, not of the spirit. We live in a world where the good things get traction through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that means our pushiness and our self-confidence, that it's got to die. We are going to humble ourselves into a better world. We're, going, we're not going to overcome evil by our willpower. We're going to confess our sins, and we're going to confess them to death. So in this room, uh, this is now Monday afternoon. On Wednesday afternoon in this room, there are going to be two men here sitting with me, very dear friends, trusted, faithful Christian brothers, they're both pastors. Our only agenda together will be to confess our sins to each other. Hmm. Now, we're, we're, we're friends. We hang out in, at other times. But in that particular monthly meeting, uh, we get together and we talk about what's not going well. We talk about how we aren't um, the men that we really want to be. And, uh, and, and the, the sin inevitably the sin that I really don't want to confess to them because it's so embarrassing is always the sin I most need to confess to them. Hmm. If we're going to see real change, get traction, it's because we Christian men humble ourselves and get together and talk about the embarrassing things and how we need change. And then God, the Holy spirit will flip that into social uh, that can become a revolution. Hundreds, thousands, many more of small groups of Christian men in their own spaces within the range of their personal influence, owning up and finding freedom, and then multiplying that and seeing that go viral. Hmm. Then we'll see a change. It'll take a generation, but let's get going. Okay, so... In that meeting that you're going to have in that room, say some of the one of the pastors come in and says to you that I'm looking at pornography, uh, perhaps habitually. Um, what is your advice? Because one of the questions that people have, I mean, pastors and church leaders listening are are some of them are using porn, watching porn, and they're like, okay, so if I confess that, do I need to quit? Uh, do I need to get accountable? Do I need to what? So what are you going to say to that person if they show up at your room and say, Ray, I've been holding back, but I've got a porn problem. What do you say to him? That's a great question. I don't have a one-size-fits-all answer okay. because it depends on 
the um, leadership structures and arrangements and understandings of each church and each denomination. There are different forms of, of um, pastoral care, accountability, discipline, restoration, and so forth. But it could be that a pastor needs for the sake of his soul and for the sake of Christian integrity, for the sake of that church, he needs to step away from his position, go do something else and rebuild his life. But Ed, I deeply believe we do not create a better future by faking it. Hmm. It is integrity that is essential to our future. If hmm. we are continuing the ministry of the gospel while covering over betrayals of integrity, we are hypocrites. God cannot bless that, and it will eventually collapse under his discipline. So, so how, um, and I, I, I want to make a, a, a joke and a very serious topic. If you'd pick a denomination, you'd know if you could go to your bishop or your presbytery, but that's another story for another day, a little, little humor there about denominations um, for Ray personally. But so um, how much of a problem is porn use among pastors? And a two-part question. And what advice would you give for those who are struggling with porn right now? I know listeners are hearing this saying, that's me. So how much of a problem is it among pastors? And what advice would you give for those struggling? I don't have an answer for the first one. I'm, I, every uh, impression that I have from the reading I've done is that it's pervasive. And we've got to face that. Yeah. Um, but the guy who's listening right now who's thinking, um, I'm, I'm, I'm grieved to admit it, but that is me. I'd say to that dear guy, the most important thing I want to say to you, first of all, is thank you for admitting that. Way to go. You just took the first step. Yeah. That's huge. And secondly, you need to call or text a faithful, trustworthy Christian brother today, not tomorrow, and say, we need to talk immediately. Can, can you meet with me in the next day or two? And make that commitment get with him. And this is a, a mature, reliable, um, not somebody on your church staff whose livelihood depends on your approval, mm -hmm. but somebody to whom you are accountable, somebody in the presbytery or your bishop, whoever, and, and, and own up and say, I need your help. <clears throat> and I present myself to you and you know, there's no, there's no wrong answer as far as I'm concerned. I've just got to become a man of integrity. That's more important than anything else. That's good. But just I, I start, with one, start with one man to whom you put out on the table what's really going on. And that's the next step. Then I believe, guys, the Lord will then lead that dear guy toward the second step. And then the third step. You don't have to see. In fact, it's better not to see how it's all going to go down. Uh, because if the if there's anything any of us needs, it's to trust God and obey Him one step at a time, no matter what. It's better not to see how it goes down. That's mm -hmm. really yeah. Mm -hmm. I think uh, some of our listeners are going to either hear you or read your book and really want to join this movement. Um, as they're doing that, how how would you suggest they begin addressing this problem within their congregation? Well, at Emmanuel Church uh, in Nashville, it, 
it just um, emerged uh, as we learned to be transparent with one another as men. There, there was sort of the Lord just helped us. Some years ago, we stumbled into walking in the light. First John chapter one verse seven which is the opposite of hanging back in the shadows of denial and evasion. It's coming out into the light of who Jesus really is and, and talking together about what's really going on. <laughs> the, the great things about Emmanuel, the Lord just gave us the mediocre things we created. And one of the great things, one of the great things is, is being a brotherhood of transparency and honesty together where we pray for one another. And we just don't, um, we don't falsify ourselves. That's unimaginable. Yeah. So in that kind of environment, a whole lot of things popped up to the surface, including porn often because it's just there. So maybe the one strategy any pastor can take is, is not taking porn head on, but backing up and asking the question, what man in his right mind in this church environment would start talking about his weaknesses and shortcomings? Oh, wow. Yeah. And if a guy would have difficulty doing that, if doing so would be social suicide, okay, that's where I've got to start. Let's create a, a new culture starting in small groups where guys can really talk together about what's breaking their hearts. Yeah. And do and you porn, do uh, porn will come up. do you do uh, single sex small groups for those in the, in the church for these kind of discussions or are those things that take place outside of the small group structure in something assigned for that? Well, that's great, Ed, because we're really talking about a major paradigm shift for Please. many churches. Yeah, we're talking about the end of a sort of smiling posing hmm. toward. Um, at times, uh, a brokenhearted openness. And you know as well as I do, that's the last thing some people go to church for. Sure. Um, but that's, in fact, Christianity, according to 1 John chapter 1. So at all levels, it's, it's a paradigm shift, but it's got to happen. It's like a friend of mine down in Augusta thinks of, of ministry. Maybe this isn't the most lovely wording, but hit them high, hit them low. <laughs> so there is a difference in preaching. For example, in preaching without being show-offy, without drawing inappropriate attention to myself, I as a preacher want at points along the way to own up and admit my struggles, my failures, my weaknesses, and so forth. Preachers got to do that. Um, I can't be the... Um, uh, I can't present myself as above correction and above discovery. And then hit them low, small groups of men, one-on-one, one-on-group, uh, small groups, and just start seeding the, the male infrastructure of the church with a new tone, a new conversation, a new transparency. It will catch on. So structurally then. So um, help me, and again, I want, I, want, I want people to hear, you're talking about a cultural shift. Um, so then when you teach and preach, transparency is evident. You just talked about transparency. Um, 
But then there's some way we're calling men to these relationships through teaching and preaching. And then there's some structure that's holding those relationships, or maybe it's individual, I don't know. So so help me with that. So uh, what are you saying to men, I want you to do this with these people at this time? What does that look like? Oh, man, it can look like so many things. Here's, here's things I've done. I think it's still available at redeemer.com. Um, Tim Keller has a small group study guide called, uh, I think it's called Gospel Christianity, and it's basic systematic theology designed for small group discussion. It's fantastic. It's just typical Tim Keller. I've taken a lot of guys through that group and just all kinds of things came up to the surface. So that's one thing. Secondly, my book, The Death of Born, that's what I wrote it for, small groups of guys. Thirdly, it's if this is a culture shift, really everything a pastor does has a new flavor, a new tone, a new um, vulnerability. Let's Pastors, let's let's surprise people with how much we admit. Let's astonish them with how we're growing Mm -hmm. and how basic some of our needs are and some of our discoveries. Let's do it all the time in all venues. If it's limited, it will not change the church. If it's pervasive, it will take time. Some will resist it, but you will, by God's grace, prevail. What really caught my attention about the book is how it's structured. Uh, Up until three years ago, I was a father of four sons and finally had the little girl. Uh, You're still the father. I'm still the father of four (laughs) sons, right? But now I also have a daughter. You have three daughters. Three daughters. Uh, But I'm sure you can relate to this also, though. Um, You write this as a series of letters from a father to a son. Um, Why did you take this approach? Well, to my amazement, uh, as Emmanuel Church grew through the years, uh, it came to the point where 80% of the church was in their 20s and 30s. Um, and I had literally hundreds of conversations with young guys my, my son's age, and um, they were brokenhearted with their own betrayals. And it was eating them alive. I stopped wondering, whenever I would have coffee with a guy, at some point through those years, I stopped wondering if he'd been exposed to the porn, to porn within the last week. I had to assume he had been exposed to porn within the last week. So realizing that and realizing that this one thing kept holding young men back, it hollowed out their confidence. It robbed them of their manliness hmm. and uh, their courage. It made them feel false and unreal to themselves. And I, I, I'm so offended by that because these guys are magnificent. They have no idea how great they are. And that's not flattery. That's Genesis 1, the first page of the Bible. It says they're created in the image of God, which means that they're royalty. So I wanted, I wanted to, I, I'm so fed up with this one thing yeah. injuring and debilitating a whole generation of magnificent, consequential young men who haven't even fully had their chance at life yet. But what if those guys begin to see themselves with with new gospel eyes? And what if they begin to see every woman with the dignity that, in fact, God has put upon her? Mm -hmm. That will make a difference. So, I wrote these letters as to a, from a father to a son. It's one of the things that when you're 72, you can do, and people will understand. Uh, but also because um, just before I started writing this book, um, 
I saw John Wesley's letter to William Wilberforce. Wesley died in 1791. The last letter he wrote was to the young politician, William Wilberforce, hmm. saying this, he called it that execrable villainy of slavery. He said, you have got to devote your life to bring this down. He said, political powers and demonic powers will oppose you, but God will be with you and you will prevail if you stick with it. And he did. So I wanted to write, I wanted to be the John Wesley to all these young Wilberforces and um, say, guys, you can make the difference. Yeah. And it's not just, the book's not just um, about dealing with porn in your life, though it certainly includes that, but it's about dealing with it in our culture and our context. The, the full title of the book is The Death of Porn, Men of Integrity, Building a World of Nobility. And I've actually asked uh, Ray to teach in our, our doctoral ministry program, and he's agreed. And this is part of the topic that he'll do when he's with us. So I do want to close with, uh, and we, we've gone a little long, but it's such an important conversation. It seems though, Ray, that um, a lot of pastors have sort of made peace with the idea that a substantial percentage of their, maybe their staff, maybe themselves, people in their congregation are just porn users and, or, or else we'd hear more of it talked about and we don't. So why should we not allow this to stay as it is, but to be men of integrity, building a world of nobility? What do you think? Hmm. Well, uh, two things. Number one, if I were actually in a face-to-face -face conversation with any of those pastors right now, the first thing I'd want to say to every single pastor is, brother, thank you for, for taking your stand for Christ. Thank you for all the good you're doing. You get hammered uh, by critics all the time. You hang in there, baby. You're doing great. The Lord is with you. Okay? That's the first thing I want to say. Affirm him. Put my arm around his shoulder, look right in his eyes, and tell these wonderful truths to him. Secondly, I'd want to say, would we ever be that morally sloppy with slaveholding? Would we ever say, you know, slavery here in America in the 200 years ago, uh, you know, we all know it's not right, but, you know, it's just the way things are. So let's make peace with it. It's unthinkable. Where did, where in the Bible, would somebody show me one verse, please, where God, the all holy God above tells us, you don't have, really have to care about human dignity. You don't really have to care about justice. You know, you can, you can throw people in the trash. That's okay with me. It really is okay. I'm fine with that. Just have your pleasant little church and I'll be with you and I'll bless you. Where, where's that verse? So first thing I'd say is you're, 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 you're a man of God and I salute you. Second thing I'd say is get ready for war. There is a war going on. You, you may not declare peace where the living Christ has declared war against oppression. Hmm. Who, who, who defines our ministry priorities? Do we define that? Or does the risen Christ above tell us where his heart lies? I, I, I'm sorry, Ed, I, I get kind of riled up when I think I about it. I like you riled up. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. You've been listening to a strong challenge uh, by Ray Ortland. Thanks, Ray, for being with us. Uh, you can learn more about Ray at RenewalMinistries.com. And don't forget to check out his book, The Death of Porn, Men of Integrity Building a World of Nobility. You can find more interviews with the Stetzer Church Leaders podcast, as well as other great content for ministry leaders at churchleaders.com. If you found our conversation helpful today, we'd love for you to take a few moments, leave us a review that'll help other leaders find our podcast more easily. Uh, thanks again for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.